Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Hi, I'm your host, Sharon McNamara, and you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I am the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate, a boutique firm that is home to over 30 real estate sales and marketing agents who service home buyers and home sellers throughout Boston, the South Shore, the South Coast, and Cape Cod. Our firm takes pride in assisting our clients in the next chapter of their lives by taking a holistic approach to their real estate endeavors. We believe that every move should be a moving experience. Every week, my co-host Melissa Wallace and I will provide you with my team's unique marketing approach to selling homes and share with you our expertise in navigating the home buying process. We value the experience of our agents at Boston Connect Real Estate so much that not only will you hear my perspective on real estate topics, occasionally you will hear the expert thoughts and opinions of our experienced agents at Boston Connect Real Estate. Be a part of our roundtable. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts at Talk Real Estate Roundtable. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me and my team to discuss your real estate needs, you can connect with me at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. All, all our South Shore neighbors, you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. My name is Mary Horton, formerly known as Mary Baker. Um, I am not your regular host for this evening's show. Um, Sharon and Melissa are taking a much-needed break and enjoying the last days of summer. But I am joined in studio with a very special guest to me, I should say. Um, this is actually my husband, Samuel Horton. Well, thank you for the wonderful intro. I hope I'm a special person for you. Um, Only seven thank years Thank you for having me special. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Sharon and Melissa. They gave us the boat to man, so to speak, for the night. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about one of Sam's fav- most favorite topics and something that he speaks to me so very passionately about every single day of my life and talks my ear off, um, real estate investing. Yes, um, something that I have been studying for the better part of eight years now. So something I'm very passionate about and love to chat more about tonight. And something that's kind of taking off for you personally. So far. Well, we'll talk about a little bit about your real estate investment group that you run um, here out of the office as well, just to kind of give that a little bit of a plug, because that's always a fun thing for people to potentially start getting involved with real estate. Um, So before before anything, I'm going to... Um, If you guys have any questions for us tonight, you can call into the studio at 781-837-4900. George is at the studio, and he can pipe you on into us if you have any questions, preferably for Sam, because he is much smarter on this topic than I am. Um, But Sam, first and foremost, for all of our longtime listeners, they probably have an idea of who you are, but why don't you give our newer listeners a little introduction into you, how you got started in real estate, what you specialize in? Sure. Um, So I got started in real estate actually in appraisals. So I worked for an appraisal management company for about two years. Um, And there I actually valued about 40,000 properties in my tenure there. Uh, So I got a lot of experience uh, valuating properties. And that was in the boom of uh, 2008 when we had a lot of foreclosures. So there was a lot of volume and a lot of unhappy banks and unhappy borrowers, unfortunately, at that time. 
So just quick, so people who understand what appraisal management is. So you would actually audit the appraisals that appraisers were sending into the banks, right? Correct. So they'd either come in in the form of an appraisal uh, from a certified appraiser or they'd be coming from real estate agents. In those situations, we call them broker price opinions or BPOs. BPOs. Yes. That was like the bane of my existence. I hated those <laughs> when I first started. I was like, what is a BPO? I don't understand. It's, Not that it's I basically the same thing as an appraiser, but just from a real estate, a licensed real estate agent as opposed to a well, license. A lot of them appraiser. were drive-bys too. I feel like I remember like you never had access to the property. You kind of just like, which I never understood about how you would value a property like that, but you would drive by and say, oh, this is the condition that I assume everything is on the interior. Correct. I've been out of it for about eight years or so, so it might have changed a little bit since then, but we used to call them exterior BPOs or exterior broker price opinions, and usually you had to take a picture, one picture of the house, and then a picture of both sides of the street, and then you were pretty much done back at home running comps and trying to figure out what you think the inside of the property looks like. And, and your job was to, to tell everybody that they did their job wrong. Basically, <laughs> uh, it, you can kind of think of it as almost like an underwriter or an auditor, to your point. Like, I'm just making sure that whatever their report relays matches the underwriting criteria for the bank at that time. So that gives you, like, um, when it comes to valuing properties, I almost feel like you came into real estate with an upper hand, like you were already in the real estate world, and then you came in kind of really understanding the back end side of valuating real estate property, right? Yeah, and I, I don't want to say it was by design, but it was definitely a more comfortable decision for me to go work in a position of, you know, a nine to five, learn a little bit how to value properties, what banks look for, and then excuse me, take that information and then, um, you know, transfer it into a sales role where I'm more person to person and in front of people and taking more action. Um, so it kind of gave me the confidence to get into sales. Nice. And then you just, so you interviewed with Boston Connect Real Estate, saw this really pretty girl that came out and introduced herself to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a true story. Yep. Yep. Um, the rest is history and yep. now you've been here. Yep. Mary is one of the first people I met at Boston Connect. Um, yep. But yes, yep, that is uh, exactly what happened. I've been with Boston Connect since, uh, licensed with them since I think October 2014. Wow. Time flies. Oh, yeah. Time flies. And then, so during that time, so since 2014, your primary focus has been essentially residential real estate up until probably the last couple of years, right? Yeah, I would say, honestly, right before uh, COVID, I started to get more involved. And we can talk about some of these steps if you do want to take those steps to get more involved in real estate investing. Um, maybe you don't know how or never you know, took this step, but uh, part of that is like going to networking groups, associating with people that do it daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera, um, and just getting involved and in, in picking people's brains. And so that's what I started doing probably 2019. And then COVID came around and that kind of put a pause on a few of those meetups for obvious reasons. Did you um, do virtual meetups? Uh, they had a lot of them going on, but to me that wasn't the same effect. Yeah. Um, you can't have the same, you know, person Authentic person. Authentic conversations. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You don't have the same interaction and it's just, to me, it's not authentic. It's not as fun. So. Yeah. Nothing during COVID was as fun. Let's that, be honest. That is accurate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember when you had started going to real estate meetups. He's like, I'm going to New Hampshire for the night. And I'm like, excuse me, you're doing what? And Shout out to Michael Ketchin. Yeah, and then come home at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was like, are you really doing an investment meetup? Like, what is actually going on? But I've met all the investor friends at this point, so it's it's a real thing. 
they all kind of get together and deals, we'll talk about it a little bit, but deals really happen from getting out there and what's your favorite line, talking to people? Yeah, TTP, <laughs> talking to people. I just, you know, I preach it to everyone, so to speak. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of you never know who might have that next property that you might be interested in or has a little bit of information on, you know, whatever you might need out there. And that could, and that you can take that outside of real estate too, you know, just talk to people. I think uh, too many of us are staring at our phones anyway, so we need a couple minutes to say hi to one another and figure out what makes them tick. I had a very lovely conversation with somebody at the the doctors today. First first question out of their mouth when they found out I was a real estate agent. How's the market? Hmm. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's always great. <laughs> yeah, the market is crazy. We can get into that too right now. The market is definitely hot right now for sellers. Yes. Yes, very much so actually. So Sharon and I put on what you so you had a similar experience. Sharon and I put on two properties just this past weekend. Both put on Wednesday. One was a condo. Um, 595 Washington Street, Unit 8 in Pembroke. We were on for two days, had a full price accepted offer um, right off the right right out the gate. So, And then we put on another one, 266 Center Street. We had crazy open houses over the weekend. Um, we did open house Thursday, Friday, no, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Tons of people coming through, multiple offers, accepted an offer. Buy, sellers are very happy. It's it's nuts out there. It is uh, it is very intense, especially. You had nineteen for the, offers on one property recently. Yeah, um, I had a three bedroom, one bathroom in Abington, about a thousand square feet, and um, we had it on for about thirty six hours. Um, in this situation, the uh, sellers already had a property under contract, so they really wanted to move quickly. So we ended up with I think eighteen or nineteen total offers in that window. Had a full day of showings on a Friday, and then did an open house and made a decision that evening. Uh, on an offer, um, which thankfully for them ended up going uh, pretty significantly over uh, list price. Um, and I think that's a common theme right now, unfortunately, for the lower priced homes. Mm. Um, you know, in the threes, the fours, the fives, there's a lot more buyers in that area and there's no inventory. When I was on market, I was one of two houses total listed in Abington. Crazy. For perspective out there. So, well, I also think so. This will we'll get off of our soapbox when it comes to, we won't talk. A ton about residential real estate tonight but we'll get off of our soapbox in regard to um, the media out there talking about the interest rates and you know I've, I've heard some people were at for a conventional fixed mortgage you know the rumor is that we're at eight percent and while that might be true for some instances if you're looking to purchase property residential real estate right now I strongly, strongly encourage talking to a lender to really find out what the interest rate looks like for you and your specific buying power. Um, and even with the interest rates being where they're at, we still have a very strong buyer pool that is out there for multiple properties, whether you're in a $400,000 price range or a $650,000 price range. There are um, buyers for every property. While the offers may not be, that you're seeing may not be as excessive, so to speak, they're still very, very good and still very aggressive in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And and I guess to the talk to people point, um, if anyone is out there trying to get pre-approved, I definitely recommend talking to your local banks, your local credit unions, um, working local. Um, I'm a big proponent of that for the same reason of being able to go there and physically see them. Um, but I just think there's a lot of benefit with working with uh, local vendors as opposed to or lenders in this case, but um, versus, you know, going online and looking for a quote that way. I just think you get um, you get more, you get a better transactional experience and you typically get better advice and, and taken care of better as well, in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. 
Now, so we're off the soapbox. Let's get on to real estate investing. This is the meat of what we're here to talk about tonight. Um, what are some of, what have you found or what do you believe some of the benefits to real estate investing are for either your first time home buyer or even your experienced buyer? Start with your first time home buyer because I feel like, not first time, not first time. No, I'm taking that back because I think right now a lot of first time home buyers are of the mindset where they're looking for like the single family home. Yep. Um, but just talk about the general, the first time real estate investor, I should say. What are some of the benefits that they should be looking at? Well, to be honest with you, right now I'm, I'm to a lot of my first time home buyers, if they have, um, you know, the capacity, so to speak, to get into real estate, to being somewhat of a landlord in, in some capacity, I think. Um, Talking about house hacking is a huge thing, um, which can be uh, two things. It could be uh, taking advantage of uh, FNA, excuse me, an FHA loan um, and living in one unit. So buying like a duplex, living in one side and renting out the other side, or maybe you can find a three unit or a four unit and do the same thing. Um, and that way you kind of benefit from um, the tenants there paying down your mortgage for you. Hopefully if we can work out the math right, you know, you're, you're walking out of there without paying any mortgage yourself and you're living in a unit rent-free. Uh, in an even better case scenario, you maybe even make a couple bucks a month in cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a big thing that I'm talking about with first-time homebuyers. It's kind of like it's so competitive out there. Why don't you buy something that, is, that has the potential to make you money? and create leverage for you down the road to buy the house that you really want, um, especially with the way that values are be being driven up currently. So that's um, something I'm talking about frequently with first-time investors and first-time home buyers in general um, as an option. And then just to finish that thought, the other side of that is you could do house hacking with a single family house as well. So if you have a couple friends that you really trust that you know that they're going to pay you a certain amount monthly, you can go in and rent out a couple of rooms to your friends and now they're helping you with your mortgage and your utilities and that way you have a house a lot more affordable. You can do that for a couple of years. Hopefully you build up some equity in that house, right? Maybe make some renovations to it over time and then use that equity at a, an appropriate time, refinance, and then maybe you have a more affordable mortgage at that time or perhaps you have a better job and you're able to go buy the next house that you want to live in and you can keep that one sell it rent it you have the option right so there's a lot to do sorry, I just sorry see, if that was a lot like i just see your wheels turning and how excited you get when you're talking about it and the one thing that i keep thinking about so with um with an owner occupied unit so when you're purchasing the big fallacy about i think real estate investing is that any investment property that you're purchasing typically need somewhere of 20 to 25 percent down in order to be able to um, purchase it but when you're owner occupied that goes away like right so uh, you don't need to be 20 percent if you're an owner occupied property uh not uh, you could do under 25 if, if it's a first time home buyer then you would be under that um, but definitely speak to a lender specifically on that. But, you know, Different FHA persons. is three and a half percent down. Conventional yeah. is five percent. You could still buy a conventional two family at five percent down, I believe. Don't quote me on this. Check with your local lender. Um, <laughs> local lenders, yes. call in. Um, but, uh, but you should be able to do that. And so you don't need to come up with the full 20 percent down. Now, in this market, because it is so competitive, obviously down payment is an impact when making the decision on the other side for the seller. So something to keep in mind, but you do not mm. have to. Yeah, I'm just thinking when everybody's like the, I don't, I don't want to call it fake news, but there's a lot of, there's a misconception out there that you have to have 20% to 25% down in order to even purchase an investment property, which is not necessarily the case. There are different types of financing and different types of programs that can get you into something, especially if you are that first time home buyer, get you into, you know, the duplex that Sam was talking about, 
um, for a lot less than that 25% down payment. Correct. And then there's other alternative strategies too, which we can get into, uh, but they do take a little bit more time, patience, knowledge, and energy. Let's I would stick say. to the benefits before we confuse people yep. we, or we get too far into the weeds of um, sometimes you talk over my head. So I'm like, let's just talk about the really positive stuff until you get to the complicated stuff <laughs> before you get to the complicated stuff. Okay. So house hacking being um, a way to get a first time home uh, real estate investor into a primary residence um, and then being able to hold on to that asset and um, potentially gain equity out of it or use it to leverage or leverage it to use to purchase another property. What else? Is, what's another benefit? Um, so, I mean, the, generally speaking, I think you have cash flow, which, again, if you run the numbers correctly, you find a good agent, a good uh, lender out there to help you run the numbers and get comfortable with what the mortgage payments look like, what the expenses expenses that will come up will look like. And then it's just figuring out what you can charge for rents. And again, having a good team set up is very important here because if you trust your team, then you most likely won't fail, uh, air quotes. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's just a numbers game. It, it ends up being, does this make sense? Um, so cash flow being one, um, market appreciation and equity. So, uh, you know, they're two of the same thing. So market appreciation, you buy it at 500,000, it goes up to 525 a year later, you have now created 25,000 in equity. Okay. So I'm totally going to trip you up here. Do you think, so this is what a lot of, everybody's like waiting for the shoe to drop. Do you think that properties are still going to continue to appreciate based off of our current market conditions and kind of what we've seen over the past couple of years? Bold prediction from Samuel Horton. <laughs> Live on. <laughs> Live on WAGD. Um, so, yeah. It, Everybody's I mean, going to hold you to it. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I always preface this with uh, it all depends on who you ask. Yep, but, and who has the crystal ball. And who has the crystal ball. But in my opinion, I do believe that uh, property values, at least in our state, in, the, in particular in the Northeast, um, will continue to increase in, in value. Um, I do think we may have a seasonal slump, um, which we did see slightly last uh, November to February, you know, kind of in that window where sales were down a little bit. There wasn't as much, you know, activity going on. But I usually consider that the seasonal slump, which we haven't seen over the last couple of years because the market was even more crazy in that in that window. So I think we could see potentially see that. So that could create a big opportunity for buyers and investors out there this winter if that does happen, because um, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer, um, you know, uh, a lot of fatigue. the buyers, are, yeah, buyer fatigue out there. They're yeah. going to probably say, okay, it's Thanksgiving, and I'm going to, I'll, I'll come back when the snow goes away, and that could create an opportunity for you because, in my opinion. A lot of people that have that list in the winter months have to sell for another reason, right? Or for one reason or another. And that is an opportunity right there in itself. So if you have less competition and you have someone that has to sell, that's an opportunity in my opinion. Yeah. I always say the same thing. It, my favorite time for buyers to be looking is actually when everybody else is seemingly not. Oh, and same thing for sellers. Favorite time to kind of be on market as, is when there isn't a ton of competition. Um, moral of the story is there hasn't been a ton of competition for a lot of sellers over the past couple of at least the past year, but even if we take small sample size of, um, you know, this past week in Pembroke, we had more properties coming on market this last week um, in a specific price range than we had seen for several months. So it almost gave um, buyers the, the hope. 
almost. It gave them the um, idea that we were the market was getting inundated with the specific specific um, price range. And I had a couple of people come through my open houses asking, like, why did everybody and their mother decide to list properties um, this week? And I said, you know, we're going into Labor Day weekend. Notoriously, um, you know, Labor Day is going to be slow. It's going to be the last weekend of the year. That's just what we kind of see. Um, and usually the weekend before and the weekend directly after, again, slower times of year. So people are probably rushing to get their houses on the market before the end of the summer and before kids go back to school. So you're kind of in that little bit of a pocket. But I do think, to your point, it's an advantage for buyers to be looking and kind of fight that buyer fatigue through the winter month. Yeah, push through it. Determination, if you're listening out what's, there, what, first time What's David Goggins, that guy that you absolutely love? Well, David, it's David Goggins. Yeah. What what is his book? Uh, Can't hurt me. Can't or, hurt me. I think it, don't quote me. Something. So, yeah. Well, David Goggins. It's a, it's a great inspirational it's in book. It's an it's we both listen to it as an audio book, um, and he's all about perseverance of the mind. <laughs> Keep going, push through. You can do it. So that's what we're going to encourage um, home buyers to do and home sellers to do going into these winter mo- months. Push through it. You got this. Yeah, it's can't hurt me, David. Goggins. Can't hurt me. Great audio book. I recommend an audio book. He's hysterical can, guy yeah. too. Yeah, if you can, if you can do it. So, um, okay. So back to real estate investing. Oh, before I do that, just in case anybody does have any questions, um, you are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable. I am Mary Horton. I am joined here with my husband Samuel Horton, a full-time real estate agent um, and real estate investor at Boston Connect Real Estate. If you have any questions, George is in studio, and he can take your call, 781-837-4900, or you can shoot us a message. We are live on Facebook as well. Um, okay. We're, we're talking benefits of real estate investing, I believe. Um, Sounds like there's a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I kind of lump them into five. You could probably make a few more if yeah. you really wanted to think about it. So we talked about cash flow. We talked about market appreciation, a.k.a. equity. Um and then there's also uh, tax benefits involved with it, right? So you can write off, you can depreciate an asset, you can um, write off the interest and the taxes and all the expenses on it, and mm-hmm. you can use that against your income, um, which is great. Um, and then there's also, you know, principal reduction, right? So if you have a note or a mortgage on the property, it's you have someone else paying down that note for you. So you're not paying the mortgage, you're having the tenant pay that mortgage. Oh, okay. I was like, who's paying the mortgage? I'm not a um, principal reduction. Okay. I've yes. never heard that term before. Well, your mortgage balance, your principal, right, on the property. Mm-hmm. So mortgage pay down is probably more commonly used, but principal is kind of what I think of when I think of real estate. What's the principal associated with that? Gotcha. You know, what's the note on it? Um, and then lastly, uh, another good one is leverage, right? So you can use a real estate investment property as additional income. You can, again, use it for a tax benefit. Um, you can use that to qualify for more. Um, hey, we have a caller. Oh, Sharon amazing. wants to come on. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are doing a great job, Mr. and Mrs. Horton. I love it. Um, and as I did the audio camera for you on Facebook, I did a nice close-up because you guys are so damn cute. So <laughs> if people are watching on Facebook, they can see a close-up of you. But I did have a question, uh, some things that were sort of thinking about investments and everything, and I had heard something on Clubhouse that I was listening to about the Airbnbs being outlawed in certain areas in Texas, and I was just wondering about Sam's perspective of, you know, working with investors right now. I know, you know, a couple of our agents have Airbnbs that they've bought investments. 
investment properties. And, and what happens after the fact? I mean, is that something that you're considering when you're helping somebody find an investment property and they're going to initially use it for an Airbnb? But do you have to consider the risk of what if this is outlawed in this area? Yeah, um, that is definitely something that I pay attention towards. But as far as like helping people in, in Massachusetts, I typically focus Cape Cod because it's an area I know. Um, for Airbnb for, specific. For Airbnb specific. Um, because I can, I know I can go to, you know, Dennis Town Hall, talk to the building department and talk to the town and see if there's any regulations coming down the pipeline, what's required for an Airbnb and things of that nature. Um, I get a little skeptical when people overbuy in certain areas or certain markets, um, you know, and I think we're seeing some of that now with Airbnb being down in value um, and not receiving as much bookings. I think we have a lot of uh, Airbnb managers out there, so to speak, that maybe bought the typical house and they didn't buy an experience, which is what people look for, in my mm. opinion, for an Airbnb. Um, you know, That's yes, there are some out there that you just that want a quick, a point, yeah. you just want a quick place to stay sometimes, but for the most part, um, you know, people want an experience. They want something different when they go stay there. And I think a lot of investors, you know, got into it thinking, oh, I can just buy a three-bedroom house in this location because it's a great location. And, you know, if it doesn't have a view, if it doesn't have a pool, if it doesn't have a hot tub, if it doesn't have, you know, X, Some Y, type and of Z, attraction. Right. You're going to, once more and more people buy in that area, you're going to have the same thing as everyone else. You're going to have less bookings and you're going to have less income as a result. And then you could end up selling it as a loss. And maybe that helps the first time buyers in that market, um, you know, or wherever they're buying. Um, so I'm a little schemish, I guess, overall on Airbnb uh, in certain areas. I think there's some traditional markets that will always be rentals. I think pretty confident the Cape will always be a rental market. Um, but I did just see New York City is contemplating passing laws against Airbnb right now. So, And there's two other cities yep. that have done that too as well. Well, I think Boston is one of them, uh, isn't it? I, I actually don't know. I don't know about Boston. I know they're... they're yeah, trying- I think- Boston was one, I think, yeah, I think that that had passed in Boston that there wasn't any in there, but I don't know that for sure, but, um, well, it would make and then just one other, sorry, go oh, ahead, I'm sorry, I just had one other question, too, just in regard to, you know, for the, you know, general investor, not someone who wants, you know, to have 500 doors under their belt, but, you know, is it always you have to go towards the multi, or do you think that there are some options where buying a single family to do year-round rentals does make sense? I just feel like with the way the rates are right now and, you know, you know, first-time homebuyers, you guys were just talking about that. I mean, it's so difficult for them to get into something. Do you think that they just sort of say, you know what, I'm just going to lend something for a couple of years and then just sort of see what happens? Uh, so you're saying, like, if someone pauses their home search and starts renting instead of buying, or did I understand that Yeah, so, yeah, so I think that, do you think that people will start doing that? And if that's so, does the investor have to always look for multis. It seems like every time I hear about investors looking for properties, they always want the multi. What about just single families? Uh, yeah, you can definitely buy single families out there and still um, still potentially cash flow on them. You just have to really, in my opinion, at least in our state, you have to find something under market value that requires a lot of work to kind of bring it up to today's standards and have a seller on the other end that really doesn't want to do the work, doesn't want anything to do with the property. Um, so you have a, you know, it, it's a tougher find so to speak, but I do think that there are still some uh, cash flow positive single families that you can buy out there. Um, 
but that's the hard part is trying to find something where you can actually buy it at a certain amount and still be able to have uh, you know the tenants be able to cover your debt on that property and expenses so that at least from a first-time home buyer or you know first-time investor standpoint if you're breaking even in my opinion that's great if you're cash flowing that's even better but the the goal would be to at least break even and at least put a little bit in the bank so that you can you know uh-huh. uh, cover any unforeseen expenses that come up you don't have to yeah, focus multifamily. Yeah, sort of like when the water main breaks into your multifamily <laughs> and floods the basement. <laughs> like, what happened to us today? But Kirk. insurance will cover all that. All right, well, good show, you guys. I'm listening in. I don't want to hog, but I, those are, like, actually real questions that I had. So uh, to all of our listeners, uh, you're listening to Mary and Sam Horton, um, mm-hmm. and they are talking about investments right now, investment properties. If you have any questions for them, 781-837-4900. So I will be listening in, guys. I'll talk Thanks, to you later. Yeah. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. And since uh, Sharon's still listening, I'll say with the single families, what's what's intriguing now is that there's a lot of um, what we call midterm rental opportunities. Um, there's websites like uh, FurnishedFinder.com, which can pair you with like contract employees that come to certain areas for a certain amount of time. Oh. So it could be a month, three months, six months. Like your traveling nurses. That's the big one. Correct. Right? So I, you know. To answer the Airbnb, to kind of loop back to the Airbnb and to the single family question, a lot of these Airbnb investors might switch to that mm. midterm model to try and put nurses or whoever the contract employee is in that property for a shorter term. That will also bypass some of the regulations that some of these states are putting down as far as you know short term rentals go, because there are some communities in Mass that you have to have a minimum thirty days. Um, just to rent in. Um, so that's where midterm could become a huge play for some of these. Um, Airbnb. Midterm being yeah. like a th- like just 30 plus days. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's, a, then, that's an interesting mind shift. And then that, if you take that same information and you're trying to buy a single family near here, you know, in, in our area, in the South Shore, um, you could still apply that. You'd want to be close to, you know, like the Plymouth hospitals or like Weymouth hospital or, you know, well, close know to a highway, thing, something like that where you could kind of advertise to um, that particular type of tenant. Yeah, even in the city, I know we had a client um, within the past couple of years who um, they rented out to professors, like college professors or people who are coming in for um, grad programs, things like that. So it's not just solely nurses, but to your point, contract um, employees. So that's an interesting perspective. Um, I was it, The Airbnb question that Sharon had, I think that it, it almost like that, that market got inundated so, so quickly um, because everybody's like, oh, well, to your point, I can just buy a three-bedroom house and I'm just going to rent it out and people are going to pay me these insane amount, these insane amounts for rent for that week. Um, where I agree with you, whenever we're looking for an Airbnb, we're looking for an experience. So it's more than just your three-bedroom cape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to replace the hotel stay but still want the convenience of having a backyard or whatever it may be. Privacy. Privacy, but, you know, being longer able stay. to cook right having you know fresh linens things like that and not to berate um you know some of the airbnb managers out there but they don't treat it like they should in my opinion which is treating it it's a hospitality business when you're an airbnb you're in hospitality you're not uh, a landlord you are a hotel concierge you are there yeah. to make sure they enjoy their stay they're paying you good money for that week or mm-hmm. that two weeks or whatever it is you got to make sure that everything's clean for them you know they have what you're promising if you're promising linens towels paper towels totally 
toilet paper, things of that. Um, you got to have that available, stocked. You got to give them information on how to use certain things. You got to be available if something goes wrong and be able to send someone there immediately. So I think some of these uh, managers that are struggling maybe didn't look at it like that, and they thought, okay, I could just you know put it out there, take some good photos, and you know it'll make me money. And and maybe they yeah. work a very stressful job, and they don't have the time to answer all of these questions yeah. and demands and things like that. And that's where you get a divide in Airbnb managers. Interesting. Because I'm sure there's someone out there listening that had a terrible experience staying in an Airbnb, and I'm sure there's plenty that had a great experience. And a lot of that comes down to the manager and who's who's. I'm going to let you do all the Airbnb picking from now on. Because um, you, you know what you're looking for. <laughs> um, so let's kind of switch gears because we only have 15 minutes less left in from the benefits of real estate investing into quickly kind of how you can get involved and how you can get started if this is something that is interesting to you. And then I do briefly want to talk about um, finance options and how people can obtain some we of have, these properties. We have Jasmine joining us. Oh, awesome. Okay, so maybe we'll skip to the finance part first. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Jasmine. How are you? Hello, hello to my favorite realtors. I'm really enjoying this conversation. So many interesting points are coming up, and I thought I might be able to add a little perspective from the money side of things. Awesome. Um, you know, right now, my investors are excited. They're, they, no one is pumping the brakes, and I don't know if you guys are finding that from, from the buy-sell side, um, but the investors that are out there looking for opportunities are just saying this is going to you know, interest rates in the media are going to just startle people out. But they've been so used to borrowing at elevated rates for so long yeah. that a small change in rates for them, it doesn't shock them. You know, it, when investment rates, you know, went down, they never went down to 3 or 4%. So they're not, yeah. not, not wholly, I should say, not widely available. Um, I know you guys can beg to differ because, you know. You have an awesome mortgage broker, but um, <laughs> <laughs> wisely, they weren't really in that for very long. So yeah. when you're talking to seasoned investors, they've they've been they've been flirting with rates six to twenty percent for decades. So um, they've just been waiting for people to get fear. So what you said about that mindset shift and just remembering your goal and remembering that you know rent is a hundred percent interest. You know, don't let off the gas. Take a look and try to employ the strategies for your your purchase. If you're trying to get that investment property, you have to you have to look at the bigger picture and you have to make sure you're involving people like your CPA, your financial planner, mm-hmm. an awesome mortgage broker, and you're going through all the different methods and you know the bigger pockets had on their podcast yesterday a really great strategy about you know stop trying to pay points if you're fixing and flipping. You know, there's so many different things. Yeah. You know, people are just, they're listening to the media and they're not really diving deep to their own personal situation. Um, so there's that side of things. And the right now, the lending capacity on the investment side is super widely available. So we're seeing a lot of uh, non-QM, so these loans that don't meet the perfect cookie-cutter type loans, and then things like DSCR, so debt service coverage ratio loan, where the properties are qualifying for the loans, not the people. And so there are all these different programs out there that haven't been so mainstream and now are, and more investors are like, you know, I'm 
we put my money here. And like to Sam's point about the, the medium term um, income, even those those type of properties and that type of cash flow is able to be used for qualifying. And it's a great strategy, especially mm-hmm. where there's such a housing shortage in these really popular areas, like I don't know, the South Shore of Massachusetts, where we've got <laughs> yep. a lot of hospitals and not a lot of housing. Act, uh, 100%. And could you actually break down a DSCR for everyone listening? Because I'm glad you brought that. So, well, why don't we talk about um, first, like, what it actually is. So, the DSCR, the debt service coverage ratio loan, is essentially where the cash flow on the property, it's looking at it's looking at that, the investment. They're not looking at your personal income. They're not looking at your own personal debt. They're saying, okay, if we're going one for one, if you've got 4000 rental income, then we're going to offset that with $4,000 you know, cash flow costs for the property. And so it's not, it's, it's not, they're, they're not across the board, you know, everywhere. But if, if the property is 100000 of annual income and the debt obligation is 80000 then you're looking at a DSCR of 1.25. So these type of qualifying, like, you know, whether it's one for one to 1.00, up to 2%, where they're going to be looking for 160000 to that $80,000 in cost, the ratio is widely different on different lenders and for different rules and regulations. But what they're doing is they're saying the total annual income for the property and the property only against the total annual debt obligation. And that ratio is what they're going to qualify on. So most people are, are used to debt to income, so DTI loans, where we're taking a look at the housing expense and then all of your personal expenses against what you bring in for income and they're used to that percentage and, and they hear you know the front end the back end and they try to kind of equate that to this it's completely different it works like a commercial loan where they're just saying okay if we took you out of the picture you know you you investor you home buyer if we took you out of the picture and this this house was taking out a loan on it for itself it walked itself to a bank and it's saying hey look at me how would it how would its income reflect with the mortgage payment? And granted, interest rates definitely impact this because mm-hmm. that impacts the total annual debt obligation on the property. And so if you're trying to get one of those really nice one for ones, you really gotta get you really gotta get that, that payment down. And so points might be necessary in that regard, but really it's when people who, you know, you don't have to have you know, a huge annual salary, you know, you don't need to have a $200,000 a year job in order to get that investment property. It's, it's a, what is the, what's the best word for it? It's, it's not a lie. It's not a lie, but it's, it's just not widely known that the building can really compensate for itself and really qualify on its own. And you just need to have the liquidity for the down payment to make that debt obligation down. So certain programs have very little down payment obligations when the rates make sense. Um, but when the debt obligation goes up, your down payment has to go up so that the loan balance comes down. So there's a balance there. Um, at some point, you know, like this little sweet spot of 10% down, it's rarely available. It's not widely available now. So there's so many different things out there, and people just don't know that you know you can let the, you can let the investment do the lending. Well, so that's a, a good point. Like, as you're speaking, it's just more and more clear to me that people need to... Uh, so even, you, even your regular buyer needs to almost 
switch the mindset and say, this is maybe this isn't a house that I'm purchasing. This is an investment in my future, which where I used to say the exact opposite. I would be like, if this is the home that you're going to live in, that's what you, that, that's kind of the mentality that you needed to go into it and not look at it as an investment because people are always like, I'm not getting a deal. I'm not getting a deal. Well, if you can switch the mentality and say, I have to come at it more from an investor standpoint, then it almost opens the doors to all of these different creative type financing outside of your conventional lending. You know what I mean? Right. From leave Fannie, Freddie, FHA out of it. And if you're going in this for an investment, like like Sam said, there is that break even. So that's a one-to-one. But you, if you're cash flowing, that might be a 1.1 over, right? So that, that, prop, that property might be the one qualifying and it might be great, but you really have to go into it with a, okay, what about the tax benefits? What about my retirement plan? Like, is it short-term? Is this long-term? What am I going to do with the property? Is this going to be short-term, medium-term, long-term rentals? Um, and how does this play into my full financial picture? You can't just let the news and the conversation about interest rates put fear into you because it's not putting fear into other investors. And they're seeing opportunity. And when people see opportunity like that, like the big companies of Black Knight, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're reading into opportunity and you're not, you're missing something. Yeah. Yep, I should also 100%. say my license number is NMLS <laughs> And this is one of our local lenders. No, yes. um, <laughs> no. Um, but one of the things that I, I'm preaching now on top of like house hacking is is partnerships. So my question to you on the DSCR loan is if I only have 5% and you required 10% on this particular product, let's say everything else works out smoothly, can I partner with someone that maybe has the other 5% go in on it 50-50 and still go after that property? Absolutely. And I encourage people, this is the time to form, this is the time to form your own business. Create an LLC, create a trust, come in, have the legal documents done, and buy that property together. Understand that not all investment is the same. If you partner with a contractor and the contractor is putting in physical labor, and that's not going to be liquid cash so much, but they're going to be a partner in that, make sure you have that in writing at first. Mm. The best way to ruin a friendship is to add money to it. So you really need to make sure that your partners are the right people. Also look at them them with a resume. It's not that a first-time investor can't do it into a partnership. They absolutely can, but they have to have it in writing. You have to understand your past history with money management and your future because you don't want your personal obligations to tie up a joint um, a, a joint property. And so while we might be taking a look at individual credits and, you know, with an LLC coming together and one might have lower FICO scores, you have to have those conversations about money management going ahead of the time. You also have to have a conversation about the maintenance and the upkeep, um, deferred maintenance and things like that that are going to be problems going into the future. They're not right now, but a roof is only going to be, you know, as good as the roof that was installed so 20 years 30 years um and if it's 10 years into its lifetime what happens when that roof needs to be repaired have those conversations before you identify a property before you apply together and make sure that your partnership um is fully defined more truer words have never been spoken by jasmine glasgow from maritime mortgage (laughs) you always come in to like kind of level everything off and you're like hey so you're always so like upbeat and um you're like we can everybody we can do this and there's so many different opportunities out there which there are it's just i think sometimes it can be overwhelming whelming and it's just so much clearer that you have to have a really good team around you that's going to help you navigate like your your real estate agent's going to help you navigate and connect you with the lender who's going to be able to have these conversations with you and really figure out what your goals are because not everybody's is the same you know what i mean 
Like, hundred percent. I had a, I, 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 what you're saying is like so true. Because I had a client sit down today. She was ready to buy an investment. We looked at all the numbers and I said, just thought yes. And she just realized she didn't have enough savings for her own personal expenses. And while she could do it, it just didn't make sense. And I needed to lead her to see it all. And you know, it's crazy. We only talked about one type of investment loan here. Like CSDR is one type of investment loan. And if I could just leave you with one parting word is you have to remember any type of investment includes risk. So you need yeah. to be well-informed. And like you said, a great team is it. And like you guys excel at this. It's never just you know, rainbows and lollipops. We need mm-hmm. to take a look at, you know, the asbestos. So, you know, there's all the different sides of it. You just need to make sure that you are informed, but you're also paying attention to the trends um, and you're also looking ahead in the future. So while everything is possible, it might not be right now. It could yeah. be in the future. It's a yes or we'll, we'll get to it. But you just need to know that, like, as long as you're in, you're you're trying to learn and you're trying to gather the information, you're taking the right steps, even if it's not massive action and to just a purchase immediately. Listening to things like this, getting onto the the education platform and collecting that data, you are moving forward. So don't feel like you're stagnant, but you have to know where you're at to know where you're going to go. Thousand percent. Well, thank you for. Um, we only have like literally two minutes left, so. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it so very much. Always great information coming from you and very helpful for our listeners out there. Um, Jasmine Glasgow from, see, I did it again, Glasgow from Maritime Mortgage. Um, give your number in case anybody wants to get in touch with you. Sure, Mary. Great talking to you. 774-240-4667 or team at maritimeloan.com. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Jasmine. I always love how enthusiastic she is whenever she calls because, like, you can tell she feels so passionate passionately about lending um and she talks a million miles a minute so you know that there's so many more things that she wants to say come like floating around in her head that she just she's like just call me and i'll tell you everything and that's why you set up a consultation call to figure out more um and she's right on the nailed the nailed it on the head there with you know it's it's education it's mindset it's picking the right partners and the right team to help you get to the finish line that uh, comes in big with these things at the end of the day for sure well, Sam, before, because we only have a couple minutes, I, I want you to talk about your real estate investment group that you run um, from here most often. Sure. Uh, just our in next case one, anybody wants to join. Yeah. Our next one is actually September 21st. Um, we you are, didn't do one for August? Well, okay. no, yeah, we did. Um, and it's the Boston South Real Estate Meetup. You can reach out to me for that directly if you want to be added to the list. It's a free event. It's uh, Sam period Horton at bostonconnect.com, or you can text me at 781-789-8366. For all your real estate investment needs or all your real estate needs, um, thank you guys for listening. This has been a great show with my husband for the first time. (laughs) Officially. Officially. (laughs) Bye, guys. Have a good night. Bye.